Now we're going to go into the first 11 verses that we just read through. We'll dive into the introduction of this letter where we hear Paul's exhortation time and time again. And it is rejoice. It is rejoice of all the letters from from him that he could touch on this topic. It wasn't a letter written when things were going well, but it was a letter written from imprisonment to a church who would likely experience imprisonment sometime in the course of their lives as well. And so what does this tell us about the Christian faith? What does that tell us about what it means to navigate through Christian life? Paul gives us three different reasons why we ought to rejoice and not just rejoice in the beginning of this letter it's very clear that he's rejoicing in something very particular he's rejoicing in the fellowship of the saints rejoicing in the fellowship of the saints there's three reasons why number one because we labor for the gospel together in verse three paul says i thank my god in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now sometimes when we think about apostle paul we picture in our minds this like a type personality guy like this one man show, like he busts into the scene, he preaches the gospel, does signs and wonders, confounds the wise, uh, plants a church, the mic drops, and then he's out of there into the next adventure. That's sometimes how we picture Apostle Paul. But this is so far from true. And it is clearly evidence in every single one of his letters. Have you noticed the beginning and the end of every one of his letters? It's all about people. It's all about partnership. It's all about community, family, generosity, living life together, continuing to expand the gospel. It's everything about people. He depends on people's prayers. He is thankful for people's generosity. He's thinking about certain churches and individuals, even when he himself is imprisoned. He's eager for the next time he can see them. He's writing about both spiritual and practical matters to churches far away. Can you imagine if you were imprisoned? What would you be thinking? What would be going through your mind if you were in prison? I'd be thinking about myself, right? I'm like, I just want to make it through. I hope I'm doing okay. I hope people are praying for me. I hope, you know, I'd just be self-absorbed in that moment. I'd just be thinking about myself. I want to take care of myself. But we see here the exact opposite in Apostle Paul. In the moments when he's in prison, he is probably most inconvenienced. He's probably in most need. And yet his thoughts go out to other churches, other ministries, places that he's been to, people that he longs to see, people that know that he knows are praying for him. He is such a people person. He's the greatest people person and the greatest team player there is. He never thought when he was in prison, I'm the only one who's doing things right. I'm the star of the show. I don't need people. I don't need prayers. He is full of boldness and humility because he knows he is in fellowship with the saints, people who have also laid down their lives to follow Jesus. People who will ultimately pay the price and even be martyred for the faith in the future. 
people who out of their poverty still gave generously for the work of the gospel. And so there's a joy and a lightness of heart in Paul's writing, even as he's imprisoned, because he knows that there's partnership in prayer and in laboring for the kingdom. He's basically saying, even if I'm taken out, even if they get rid of me, there's still plenty from where that came. Even if I'm unable to travel and preach and evangelize and plant churches, the Holy Spirit through his saints will have his way in the nations. His word is living. His word is active. His word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it will, it shall, it must not come back empty. That is his heart. That is the reason why he rejoices in the fellowship of the saints. Let me give you an example of something maybe not, well, very, very similar to what was going on here. A few years back um, at New Philly, we heard about this person who was unjustly imprisoned in North Korea for their faith. And they were actually imprisoned for over a year. And during that time, we had a prayer meeting called Jeremiah Prayer Meeting, where we met once a month and we cried out for revival in South and North Korea. And the Holy Spirit was just so present in those meetings. For over a year, we prayed for this man. For over a year, we contended for his release. For over a year, we prayed for his protection. For over a year, we prayed, whatever happens, whatever is going on, would you strengthen him, Holy Spirit? Would he stand the test that he's going through? Would his witness be stronger than ever before? So we would gather you know, once a month. And for over a year, we prayed specifically for this man. We prayed for many different topics, but this was one of those consistent prayer topics. And we finally heard that he was released. And he actually ended up coming to that same prayer meeting not long after and speaking at that prayer gathering. And he said that when he was in prison, not knowing when or if he would ever be released Wondering if he had been forgotten, like people have moved on with their lives. Wondering what was going on because he was cut off from the rest of the world. He said he found such strength and courage knowing that there were people that were praying for him. He'd feel the closeness of the Holy Spirit. He'd feel a special grace on certain days. He'd see God moving in unusual ways. And he'd think, there's someone out there praying for me. There are saints that are gathered that are praying for me somewhere. I don't know exactly where, but people are praying for me. And when he came to speak at that prayer meeting, and he just looked out into a sea of young people who had contended for him, for his release for over a year, contended for his safety, for his testimony of faith to not fail, he was so moved and so touched. This is the power of praying and laboring together for the kingdom. This is what it means to rejoice in the fellowship of the saints. Sometimes when things are going well in our lives, we don't really rejoice in the fellowship of the saints. It's just something else, you know, that we take for granted in our lives. But there have been moments when I'm hitting a wall, when I'm facing massive challenges, when I'm dealing with the aftermath of tragedy, when the only encouragement I can find is in the prayers of brothers and sisters. When I know that we are partnering together, when I know that they have my back, when I know that I'm seen and remembered and prayed for, 
When I hear the enemy's voice in my ears saying, you don't matter, you're forgotten, you're left behind, you're alone, your work is in vain, your sacrifice is unseen, whatever the case, and I reach out and ask for prayer, I ask for help, I ask for encouragement, I am reminded once again that I am not alone. And I rejoice in the fellowship of the saints. There's joy in the fellowship of the saints because we pray and we labor together. Second reason why we rejoice in the fellowship of the saints is because we suffer together as well. You know, I remember this is obviously not the same level that, you know, Apostle Paul is facing. But I remember when the pandemic first started, things were looking pretty grim here in Korea at the very beginning, right? How many of you guys got like somebody from back home in the States or Canada or Australia or somewhere family or friends, they reached out to you and asked, are you okay? Like, are, is everything okay? How can we pray for you? Right? There were so many people that reached out to us in that moment of need. And then things got really serious elsewhere. And then it was our turn, right? To pray for them. It feels like a million years ago, but honestly, it was, it was only a year ago, right? Um, if you guys remember, you know, here in Korea, things started shutting down. People started working from home. Masks were sold out and being rationed by the government. You remember those days, right? We reverted to online-only services. We stocked up on groceries. That's what I did. I, I stacked up like tuna and spam, like there was no tomorrow, like namyeon, right? I stocked up on groceries. You just never knew, right? And we didn't know how long this would go for. We didn't know if supermarkets would shut down. We, wouldn't, we didn't know if what would ha- what happened elsewhere, like toilet paper running out would happen here as well. You, know? you just never knew. You didn't know what, would, what was ahead for us. And so that's, that was a state of our being. And during that time, one of the highlights for me from those first months was actually getting to reconnect with people through online prayer. We actually were able to meet over Facebook Live with people who aren't just here, but also in the States who are staying at home, who are freaking out as well and wondering what was going to happen to them. And we would jump online together, begin to worship the Lord, begin to pray together, begin to contend you know, for our nations, begin to contend for the church. And there was such a sweet, that was such a sweet moment of fellowship and joy and comfort that we found in suffering together. There was such encouragement and such hope from moments like that, where we knew that we were not alone. Even in our moments of loneliness and uncertainty, we were reassured that we were not alone and we had one another to spur us on into encouragement and hope. Now, global pandemic is obviously not the same as imprisonment or persecution, but it goes to show that as a body of believers, we will go through suffering together. And in order to make it through, we'll need one another. For a long time, I believe, you know, in Korean, you would say, you know, like, I just need to take care of my, I just need to do well. I just need to take care of my own faith. I just need to be strong. I just need to stay in prayer. I just need to stay in worship. And that lasts me for like 30 minutes. You know, I very quickly come to realize the weakness of my frame and that I need you. You need me. We need one another, especially when we go through times of suffering. That is what the church is for. That is what the fellowship of the saints is for. Because newsflash, 
Paul wasn't the only one who was wrongly accused, unjustly imprisoned, persecuted, and even later beheaded for the gospel. He wasn't the only one. Out of the original 12, outside of Judas, of course, who, who, who killed himself, and then John the Beloved, who died of old age but in exile, all of them were martyred. All of them were martyred. His suffering, Paul's suffering, wasn't just Paul's suffering. It was the church's suffering. And many people were in that same boat and were suffering together. There is such sweetness and comfort in the middle of your suffering in knowing that you have the fellowship of saints to hold fast to you, to give you hope and encouragement in your time of need. And lastly, Paul rejoices in the fellowship of the saints because you and I, we are fruitful together. We don't just suffer together. We don't just labor and pray together. We're fruitful together. Let me jog your memory for those of you guys who have been part of our community for quite a while. Up until a few years ago, New Philly would send out multiple mission teams once or twice a year to different nations in East Asia and Southeast Asia. Some places were more spiritually difficult. Some others were physically more difficult, like you literally had like no hot water or you had to hike up a mountain and you had never exercised in, in your entire life or you had to eat a certain kind of diet that you were really struggling with. Sometimes it was physically more difficult. Sometimes there was, we went to places where there was very little Christian presence and preaching the gospel was dangerous. Sometimes there were intensely high temperatures that we weren't used to, or there would be a lot of off-road travel. And each, each team would be comprised of about, say, 10 to 12 people. And for months, they would train, prepare, and pray before heading out on a 10-day mission trip. Right? We used to do this multiple times a year. But one of the most important things that needed to be there to ensure that their time there was fruitful was the sending people, the people who remained here but would offer them prayer support, people who were committed to pray for them every single day they were out in the field. We used to call it UPS, right? UPS service is United Prayer Service. We get real-time updates from the team in the field. We pray specifically for the daily ministry, pray, uh, pray spiritual warfare over obstacles, and we celebrated together those breakthroughs. So, for example, we would get an update from, you know, Myanmar, and they would say, today we're taking a six-hour boat ride to a remote village that hasn't heard the gospel. Pray for so-and-so who will be preaching. Pray for so-and-so who will be sharing the testimony. Pray for missionary so-and-so who has been reaching out to them for the last year. And the Holy Spirit has put, you know, physical healing on our hearts this morning. So pray that we would see supernatural healings as we pray. And by the end of the day, you know, the people who have been praying and contending for those things, we'd hear back from the team and they would report praise the lord the gospel was preached and interpreted by a local translator the first person who got converted was that translator the first person to accept the lord jesus you know a savior was that translator and then 20 people came forward to an altar call for salvation and the local pastor will be here discipling them for the months to come we also saw the holy spirit you know moving in physical healing during our time of worship we got to pray for this person who had been bedridden for two months and we saw them take their first steps etc etc it was so incredible to hear these praise reports from the field because there had been 
in partnership in the laboring of advancing God's purposes in the nations. So even if we weren't out there in Myanmar doing the work or preaching the gospel, we were sending them forth, praying for them, and in the spirit contending that their work would be fruitful. In this way, we're able to rejoice in the fellowship of the saints. Where we knew that we were one body, we had one another's back, and the work that they were accomplishing out there, it wasn't just for them, it was for us as well. It was for the body. These are just one of the ways in which we would see this being lived out day in and day out. We knew, we knew that in the celebration and in the suffering and in the prayer and labor, there was such a joy in the fellowship of the saints. Now you might say, all right, that's great for Paul, but what does this have to do with me, right? Whether you are in a season of suffering or whether you're in a season of ease, community doesn't happen by accident. Relationships don't happen by accident. Trust, history doesn't happen by accident. How can we rejoice in the fellowship of the saints through prayer, suffering, fruitfulness together if we don't have the fellowship with the saints? Now, echoing a message preached by Pastor JP a a couple of weeks back, he he encouraged us, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Don't wait until things are bad for you to reach out. Don't wait for someone else to be in a really bad spot for you to ask if they need help. We create community. We create the fellowship of the saints before these trials come. So let me ask this question, you Philly. Do you rejoice in the fellowship of the saints when you meet with your house churches or when you meet here on Sundays? Are you aware that this is more than just, you know, a social club or a good place to meet cool people, you know, or a book club? You know, it's more than that. It's the body of Christ. We're gathering as the body of Christ. This is the fellowship of the saints. These are the brothers and sisters. You're called to edify. You might come from different parts of the world. You might not speak the same language. You might not know everyone by name. But there's something that is greater than those differences that transcends it all. And it is that we have the same blood running through our veins, the blood of Jesus Christ. He has stamped our papers of adoption. He has made us brothers and sisters. He has put us orphans into family And that has made you and I a part of the larger body of Christ, whether you like it or not. Now, I need to say this because the trend in modern day Christianity these days is somewhat concerning to me. I hear a lot of people saying, I'm spiritual, but not religious, you know, or I still believe in God, but I don't really go to church. I hear that a lot. And more often than not these days, underlying that statement is a very dangerous notion that we can do life with God without the body. It's a very dangerous notion. I can do me. I just need to be tight with God. That's it. I don't really need the body. You know, like uh, We've got online services now. Like We've got YouTube now. 
Do we really need this inconvenience? You know, underlying that statement is a very dangerous notion that we can do life with God without the body. That we can remain strong in our witness, that we can remain grounded in our convictions, that we can remain passionate in our pursuit without one another. Now, I understand probably better than most people the faults and the sins of institutional Christianity. I'm not going to downplay that. I've seen unhealthy, abusive leadership up close and personal. I've seen church splits. I've seen fights and power grabbing. I've experienced hurt and trauma and pain. I know what it means to want to give up on the church. I know what it means to just want to retreat into a hole somewhere. Just me and Jesus, you know, no need for anyone else, you know, no need to submit to spiritual authority, no need to inconvenience myself with getting to know someone or putting myself out there or having to open my heart once again to community. I know what that feels like. I know what it means to need to take some time away to reevaluate, to regroup, and take some time of reflection and healing. I know what it means to be hurt by the fellowship of the saints. But if I think for a moment that I can just do life on my own, that I don't need you and you don't need me, that God didn't put me in a church family for my sake and for the sake of others, then I know that I've strayed from God's purpose and God's gift for my life. Yes, life could be more convenient. Yes, it could be a little less complicated because relationships are complicated. But you and I need to learn what it means to rejoice in the fellowship of the saints. To not take this for granted. To know that however long or however short our stay here is, God has gifted us one another. We are called to pray together. We're called to labor together. We're called to suffer together, and we're called to celebrate fruitfulness together. Now, over the next two months, as we go through the sermon series, we will see this unshakable joy in Paul's heart as he addresses the church of Philippi. The book of Philippians, again, is known as the happiest of all books, and it's such a remarkable truth for a letter written from imprisonment. If you could throw up the next slide, this is what awaits for us the next seven weeks. All through this letter, rejoice. All through his letter, there's nothing but joy. Rejoice in the fellowship of the saints. Rejoice over afflictions. Rejoice in the ministry for the saints. Rejoice in the fellowship of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Rejoice that your hopes are in Jesus, that your citizenship is in heaven. Rejoice always over all things and rejoice in bounties of God's people. Verse after verse, chapter after chapter, the Apostle Paul will pummel us with this exhortation again and again and again. Rejoice. Rejoice. No matter what happens to you, no matter what injustices you go through, no matter what life brings your way, there is something that the world, uh, there is something that the world and life circumstances cannot steal away from you, and that is your joy in Christ. Now, as I ask, you know, Brian to come back up and we get ready to close, 
today with a song of worship. I want to make this definition kind of clear. Joy is a funny thing. It's not the same as happiness. Joy is, 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 is a very interesting thing. Happiness, mere happiness can be pegged to ever-changing circumstances often outside of our control. Hey, I'm happy. The weather's great. Hey, I'm happy. I had a great meal today. Hey, I had such a good fellowship time last night. I'm so happy. It can be pegged to the ever-changing circumstances often outside of our control. And all it takes is for the circumstances to change for happiness to change as well. But joy, this deep, resounding, defiant, persevering, abiding joy is not pegged to outward reasons to be happy. It is pegged to an inner source of hope, an inner source of life, and an inner source of peace. True joy that tempers the storm. True joy that remains through seasons of the valley of the shadow of death. True joy that shines the brightest when it is darkest all around is a joy that is founded in Christ. It's happened to me over and over in my life. I would meet someone that had the strange light from within, the strange depth and confidence about them, this incredible inner fortitude. And when I would get to know them, I realized that they've gone through some very profound trials, some monumental tests of their faith, moments where they had no easy answers and no easy cliche Christian lines, but they had to wrestle through circumstances and they came out the other side with a faith that had been refined in the fire and a joy deeply seated in their hearts, a joy that no imprisonment, no sickness, no struggle can uproot from their hearts. And this is what Paul is calling us to, a deep, unshakable, unrelenting, persistent joy that is no longer grounded on whether life is going well, but is grounded on Christ alone. Even as Paul is bound, he says, I might be in chains, but the gospel is not in chains. I'm in chains, but the gospel is free. The gospel is ever advancing, ever increasing, and even more so because of my chains. He's saying, Philippians, remember this. When you're threatened, when you're pressed and persecuted and challenged, remember that your joy is in Christ. His salvation is near. His kingdom is advancing. His heart is jealous for his people. His promises are true. And even if they try to chain me down, even if they try to silence my preaching, even if they try to dampen my witness, Jesus is alive. God is moving through the nations. And there's still no greater joy than knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Philippians, rejoice with me as we pray for his kingdom to come. Rejoice with me as we pray for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's a great joy in my heart. There's freedom in my soul, even though I'm physically bound because of Jesus.